All right, great morning, everybody. Great Monday. What a what an incredible day it is uh, today. Uh, so thankful to be have this opportunity uh, to to teach one of my favorite lessons, and a lesson that's so important when you have these cold, dreary Monday mornings. And this is a lesson about leading yourself, leading within, and leading yourself. So important uh, to everyone as they. Uh, gauge towards a life of significance. You have to. You have to be disciplined. So, before we get to our lesson, we're just going to talk about a few housekeeping items. Number one, remember our program, this leadership program, is you know when we envision this, you know we talked about the word lead, right? So lead, learning to lead, equipping, advancing, and developing. So every lesson that we put together, everything that we read, everything that we research is, is, is for not only charter school leaders, public school leaders, but just leadership in general. So nonprofit organizations, community leadership, because, you know, again, if you know, leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less. So we really, really like, like to focus on, on that lead title and, and learning how to lead, learning to live leadership, okay, being models for equipping, helping you equip others. We're becoming more equipped the more that we read, the more we research, and hopefully we are we are adding value to you and your organization, and and uh, you know giving you resources that equips you and yourself and your teams that that you lead. So you can not only advance yourself, but most importantly in leadership is to advance those around you, and develop the organization meeting the mission and the vision that you so so desired and worked so hard with. Because our mission every day is to wake up to be difference makers in the leadership development of individuals and organizations. And again, going back to today's title, leading from within, right? Learning to lead yourself. But Monday morning was so tough for me. It was just it was just nice and cozy. You know, I tried to get to the gym early on a Monday morning and that just didn't happen. I I I I didn't do my do it now, do it now, do it now. It just didn't happen. I was like, all right, I'll just go downstairs and do some yoga instead. Well, that didn't happen either. So, so you know, definitely. So now what I, you know, I have to do for the rest of the day is i got to find time to make sure that I'm getting those at least 30 minutes, right? If your goal is 30 minutes of activity per day, whatever it is, every time you postpone it, you've got to move something else on your calendar, right? So it's about focusing on your priorities. So it's definitely, you know, it's about habits. It's about developing strong habits, knowing where you want to go, continuing to be um, focused on on your keys and doing the hard things, right? You have to be able to do the hard things. So I'm so excited that you have uh, chosen this, you know, this hour to invest in yourself, uh, which is so uh, critical for for your development and 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 uh, and also the. Uh, development of the individuals around you. Real quick, there's a few announcements. Uh, we got Jeff will be hosting Thinking Partner Thursday. Remember that's every Thursday at two o'clock and, and you know bring your bring your issues. If you're having current issues, it's just a great opportunity to to think those out and, and um, you know discuss those with other charter school leaders. And Lisa's legal series will continue next Tuesday at eleven AM and I know she's going to be focusing on the open meeting laws. And then my governance series since the last Thursday of this month is Thanksgiving. We will be having it 
on uh, the 19th of November, and I will be talking about trusting but verify. Trust but verify. Ronald Reagan had this great quote, and it was, you know, as a board, you, you need to trust leadership, but you also need to have those processes for verification um, to ensure that you're meeting your goals. So we're going to be focusing on that. And then there's two conferences that you may want to check out being hosted by uh, school leaders. One is Community School of David. Well, actually, the first one is Evergreen Charter School, which is out in the Asheville area, December 3rd and 4th. And they're an expeditionary learning school. So they will be focusing on uh, a two-day conference filled with site, site visits and opportunities of learning. And so that's in the Asheville area. And then Community School of Davidson, um, they have their Fresh Take Conference, will be January 22nd. And that's the best conference I've ever been to. It, it, it's a conference for teachers, by teachers. It's extremely reasonable. I think it's less than $70 uh, for the, for the one-day event. And the, there's a keynote speaker, I believe it's Barbara Caroso. Um, so they just do a really fantastic job out there at Community School of Davidson. And if you want, I believe they have a two-day option. You can come on January on uh, January 21st and do some site visits. So Fresh Take Conference, Community School of Davidson, and then Evergreen's having their, their site uh, learning um, experience December 3rd and 4th. And then nationally, uh, the ASCD Leadership Conference is going to be in Atlanta in early April. I think it's the first week of April. And uh, we are seeking individuals who would like to go in on a group rate with us. So if you are interested in going to the ASCD conference, uh, let us know, because uh, we were trying to get five or more people uh, to get a group rate established, and that's uh, due by December 18th. So, so just let us know if you're interested. All right. So living intentionally, um, you know, always looking for opportunities to grow and, and to learn from, uh, from others. So always important to be seeking out other conferences. Leading yourself, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. So when you live intentionally, uh, you know you carve out, you know, this time because good intentions are not living intentionally, but intentional actions are living intentionally, right? So I had good intentions this morning to to get to the gym and exercise my physical health. That was my intention, uh, but my actions, I didn't do it. So I have to find time throughout the day, uh, you know, in order to to you know do that to to make sure I get my daily 30 minutes in. So remember, the definition of leadership is influence, right? It's not about titles or positions. So one of my favorite books is The Five Levels of Leadership by John Maxwell. It points out that positional leadership is, is the lowest level of leadership. It's a title, right? It's something you're given. Um, sometimes you put it on a business card or sometimes you have your name tag and look at me. I'm, I'm a leader, right? But it's the lowest level because, um, you know, Positional leadership will is more about management and not necessarily about leadership. And once once we learn to get off of our own agenda, we begin to grow our leadership, right? So if you look at the other levels of the five, you've got this, the second level is permission, right? So that's getting off your own agenda, building relationships, gaining permission to lead others, right? Gaining permission from your followers, my favorite leadership proverb, the one that I read early in the 21 Laws of Leadership, was those who think they lead and have no one following them is merely taking a walk. And so those who think that they lead and have no one following are merely just taking a walk. 
And most people will chase this title, right, this recognition, the position that once they feel that they have it, that they are a leader. Most of them, because of their status, right, because they feel that their title earns them the right to followers, right, all they, all they gain is frustration from having followers, right? Why isn't that person listening to me? As a principal, I used to feel this all the time in my first couple of years. It's like, why don't they just do it? Why don't they just read the memo? Why, you know, why don't they just follow the expectations? Because I didn't take the time to understand that leadership evolves daily and not in a day. Because you're put in a position of significance, of you know title and authority, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to listen to you. And walking through schools every day, as Jeff and I have this opportunity, we see it all the time. I see it in my own house. Right? You see it with your families. You see it everywhere you go. So if leadership is influence, who do you lead? You know, who do you lead right now? Who are some people? Think about who you lead. Who are your followers? Write down a couple of names, who you lead. And the key that for today's lesson, the most important person on that list should be you. Because if you cannot effectively, you can't lead anyone if you can't lead yourself, right? So you've got to be able to effectively lead yourself on a daily basis. One huge lesson that I learned, and I've learned it more, I feel, over the last six months after diving into this personality insights and, and, and how your personality style impacts your ability to lead, is that it's important that you remember how it was when you were under authority to be a great leader in authority. And I can tell you, I was not a great direct report at all. <laughs> I, re I really struggled with direct reporting um, for the majority of my teacher career. Specifically, I had one principal, and I, and I utilize her uh, in most of my what not to do stories. Um, but when I reflect and I think back on it, I was not very good under authority. So this was probably some of my struggle when I was in authority, um, you know, based upon that. I, I remember many times, uh, you know, as an EC teacher, as an exceptional children's teacher, I taught students with autism K to five, and, you know, I'd have a class of eight to 12 kids and mostly nonverbal and, some kids, at this time, you didn't have to be five years old until October 31st, I think. I think it was maybe it was October 15th. But anyway, it was really late in the year. And I, and I, and I remember having a class. I had, like, four four-year-olds, and then I had, like, two or three, like, ten-year-olds. And I just was completely disruptive to the culture of the school based upon this, you know, how I was mistreated and how this is not right for kids and, you know, you know, in a school and I only had one teacher assistant with 12 kids. And I mean, it was, you know, it was just, 
it wasn't good leadership at all. I wasn't leading my class well. I wasn't leading myself well. I certainly wasn't um, gaining any, you know, fans in, in the office of our school. This is just one of many, many things that I did over my first six or seven years as an educator to defy, um, you know, authority. Uh, I was definitely, my, I let my ego and my arrogance get in my way, which was interesting because when I was a principal, um, it was a little bit different, right? Uh, you don't, uh, you know, now you're in charge and nobody should be challenging you, right? You know, sometimes you think that way when you have this title, when you have this position, this is what we're doing and, and so be it. If you don't like it, leave. So remember when I was first hired as a principal, I, you know, started in January and after my second full year, our results were good. You know, they were pretty good academically. Um, but it was painful to get there. We had heavy teacher attrition, um, but mainly just, you know, because I lacked the ability to prioritize correctly and bring, bring any focus to my leadership. I was all over the place. Uh, we were all over the place with initiatives and all over the place with changing schedules. And it, we just, we just really lacked, we lacked a, a good culture, um, you know, because the culture of the organization was, um, the teachers were lucky to have a job. That was, you know, pretty much the culture of the, of the, or, the organization that I worked for. And so, you know, that, you know, trickles down and that, you know, becomes difficult. And as much as you want to be an advocate for your people, but, and then if they're not really, you know, following through, it was, it was, you know, kind of a mess, you know, it was a blurry, it was a blurry cloud on a daily basis, but we were, we were good. Nowhere near great. Um, you know, I made a lot of decisions without discussions and without, you know, taking all the all the input from my team through a diligent process to really, really make decisions. And and you know, number one, I wasn't following the mirror principle, right? I wasn't looking at myself. Um, you know, I wasn't taking a look at myself as being part of the problem, but I was definitely judging others, right? So so you know, this is something that when you learn to lead yourself, you've got to be able to look in the mirror and identify what role do I have in this problem. We, we tend to judge ourselves by our, by our intentions. Even if they're the wrong thing, we believe our motives are good and just pretty much let ourselves off the hook. Right? So, I, so I think about many, many decisions that I made uh, that I did not get the proper buy-in, and, and if, they, if they failed miserably, it was, well, you know, this is what this is what my intentions were, you know, here's, here, here's what we were trying to do. Um, it doesn't go by it, uh, you know, that well, because at the same time, we judge, we judge our direct reports with a different lens, right? You, you, you look at your direct reports as, you know, like the teacher that has the very, very, you know, sloppy room and, and they're disorganized and, and, and they can't get their act together. Yet you at the leadership level are pretty much the same thing, but you're judging this other person you're saying, well, you know, I don't have time to work, you know, organize my office, or I don't have time to have all these meetings, or I don't have time to do all this. So you let yourself off the hook because you feel that that activity is your leadership style, getting yourselves involved in everything, all right, and working extremely hard. You're the you're the model. You're the model for everybody. So 
So what I want to do today is is take four four steps uh, from this book uh, from uh, John Maxwell's Leadership Gold. Um, there's four steps that he talks about about how to lead yourself. You know, what are four ways to lead yourself? So the first one, the first step of this four, is to learn followership. Learn followership. So only a leader who has followed well knows how to lead others well. Okay, only someone who has followed well knows how to lead others well. You you have to get you know I talk you have to know what it means to be under authority to have a better sense of how authority should be exercised. And arrogant leaders are, are rarely effective in the long run, right? Arrogant leaders, I talk about myself. There was two times I was in the hospital and I thought I was having a heart attack at, you know, 30, 32, 33 years old because of because of stress and 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 just, you know, pressure and overworking and not balancing. I had no idea how to lead or how to prioritize. I just I just I was active. I was everywhere. I did a lot. But I really did nothing. Ask yourself the question, what does it truly mean to walk a mile in someone else's shoes? And I and I remember walking around campus. We had this beautiful campus that was in the woods. And sometimes I would just take a walk. I love doing K to eight walkthroughs. And I would just be thinking about just the you know, disarray or the disorganization or just kind of really struggling with moving forward and, and that principle that I had for seven years would pop in my head and I'd go, Oh, that's why she would do this, right? That's why she would make that decision. That's why she did it. And I would just almost want to call her and say, You know what, I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is really hard. This is not this is not easy. Right? That's what she was trying to do. That's what she was trying to do when she did this. So so it's just always important to, you know, think about when you were under authority, what was it like? What did it feel like? What were some of the unintended consequences that occurred based upon your leader's decision making? How did they make you feel? What should they have done differently? So you need to learn what it feels like to be under authority and to be a good follower before you can really lead and influence with strong leadership. So it's two reflection questions for you. Please write these down. The first question is name a specific lesson you learned as a follower that will benefit you as a leader. A specific lesson that you learned as a follower that you utilize to benefit you as a leader. The second reflection question is Think of a time when you willingly followed a leader, and why was it so easy to follow him or her? What was it? Was it the trust? Was it the relationship? Was it the like-mindedness? What was it that made it so easy to follow this initiative, to follow this decision, to jump right on board? What, what was it? And when you, you can reflect on those two questions, name a specific lesson learned as a follower that will benefit you as a leader, and also name a time when you willingly follow the leader, you start to kind of create that map of followership. Here are how I worked under authority. Here were the characteristics, right? Here were the keys to me being able to being a good follower. Now, 
look in the mirror, how do I demonstrate those as a leader for my direct reports, for my followers, for the people that I lead? All right, so that's step one, learning followership. Number two, develop self-discipline. The secrets to one success can be found in their daily agenda. The secret to one success can be found in your daily agenda. So how do you fill your calendar? Do you fill your calendar with your priorities? What is the first thing that you put down on your calendar? What are your priorities? All right, we've talked about the Pareto Principle, the 80-20. Focus on what's most important to achieving the vision and the mission, and you've got to block off that time daily. So what are your priorities? Have you listed your priorities? Where is family in that list? Where is your health on that list? Where is developing yourself, developing your team? What are your priorities in your position? Remember we talked about Pareto principle, right? So 20% of your time 20% of your day brings 80% of your results. I always try to find new like analogies for this. So I was looking at the other day in our in our cupboard. 20% of the cups that I own, I use on a regular basis. Right? 20% of, um, or you know, 20% of my wardrobe gets worn 80% of the time of the days. 20% of your product is going to bring 80% of your revenue. 20% of a book usually contains 80% of the content. I love these new these new short ASCD leadership books. They're great. They're right to the point, right? Who's got time to do 300-page leadership books? 20% of your work gives you 80% of your satisfaction. Think about all the things that you do on a daily basis in your job. How many of those really, really fill your soul, right? Pareto principle. So always, always focus on a 20 to 80. So you have to fill your calendar with the priorities. Okay. And one, one lesson I know that we talked about before is utilizing the three R's. Okay. What's required of me? What do I get the greatest return and the greatest reward? The leader's time is limited. So you got to take control of your time or you will be controlled by time. Take control of your time or time will control you. Remember, the first R is required. The leader can give up everything except the final responsibility, right? So what is required of me to actually do? What do I have to do that no one else should be doing? Okay, if you're a school leader, what is it that only you should be doing? Whatever these items are, they should be put on a high priority list in your calendar. So if it's teacher evaluations, if it's instructional evaluation, if you're, if you're the budget person, if you're the main person for the budget and you're the person who has the best skills in required to, uh, you know, budgeting, make sure you focus that time, right, developing long-term and short-term budgeting goals. Are we spending our money where our organizational priorities are? Okay, so a few that I wrote down, teacher evaluations, leadership development, 
gauging the school's organizational whole, health, sorry, and getting feedback from stakeholders. So those, those are four that I put that if I was leading a school right now, those would be my four. Teacher evaluation, leadership development, gauging the school's organizational health, and getting feedback from my stakeholders. Okay, the second R, return. Am I doing what I do best in receiving a good return for the organization? This is when we talked about if anybody in the organization can do something at an 80% level as well as you can, delegate it out. 80%. If they can do it 80% as well as you can, delegate it out. There's three common mistakes when we go to the second R, right? So the first is abuse. Too few employees are doing too much. Right? So you've got the majority of your work being handled by a few of your employees. We tend to do this. We call them the backbones of our school, the backbones of our organization. We delegate everything to them because why? Because they want to please and they're your follower and they won't say no. It's your responsibility to spread it out. The second common problem is disuse. Too many employees are doing too little. This is when you've got some people taking advantage of you, or you haven't set up very clear job descriptions, or you haven't thought of your schedule very well. And the final common problem is misuse. Too many employees are doing the wrong things. So this is when you've got folks who are working out of their comfort zone, out of their strength zone. You're giving them tasks because of probably the title that they have, not based upon the skill sets that they own. Okay, so that's the second R. Required is what only you can and should do. Return is what the organization gets the greatest return at when you do it. And the third is rewarding. Life is too short not to be fun. So our best work takes place when we enjoy it. I went to PAVE Southeast Academy here in Raleigh the other day on Friday, and it filled my soul. I, 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 I'm not afraid to admit that I teared a little watching this morning meeting opportunity with kindergarten and first graders and to watch this principal who came down from New York to lead this school running around, talking about the core values, um, you know, getting, you know, they have all these great hand signals and, and this great tradition already. The school just opened three months ago. If you ever have it, if you're ever in Raleigh on a Friday morning, come visit PAVE uh, Southeast because you will, you will see every person in the organization living out their purpose. You can tell very rewarding what they do and she was very great like she led a community meeting and and every you know Friday they have these you know people just come to see the school and she was first to say here's what I'm great at here's what I do I have this individual here her name's Kaki and she does all of our operations because here's what she loves to do and this and anytime there was a question that wasn't in her wheelhouse she immediately turned aside and said that is not my strength, and I make sure this person does it. She gets it. She gets the three R's. She lives the three R's. It was fascinating to see in the one-hour time that I was there how clear that was. So we're learning self-discipline. 
another tool that if you've ever used Covey's, you know, Covey's Quadrant. So here's so here's another way to gauge your daily agenda date to, you know, you can gauge your priorities. And I'll make sure that when when we send out the follow-up uh, to this recording, we'll send a, uh, a version of Covey's Quadrants that we use. But if you haven't used it, draw, draw a box, right? draw a pretty good-sized box. And inside the box, you're going to create four quadrants. So you should have four boxes inside your larger box. Go ahead and do that now. Draw your big box and cut it into four quadrants. So the quadrant number one up in the upper left-hand corner, okay, this is your urgent and important quadrant. Urgent and important. These are items that are due now, and they are important to the success of your organization or whatever you're trying to achieve. Quadrant number two is the top right. These are important but not urgent. Okay, this is a this is a great box to be working in. Okay, quadrant two. This is development. This is your know, projects for the future. Okay, this is your development work. Okay, so it's quadrant one, quadrant two, quadrant three is in the bottom left hand corner. These are your urgent, not important. These are the little tiny things that flare up, right? Little emails that come, little phone calls you have to make, just little urgent issues that sometimes you need to, you know, take care of. This is a great box to be delegating out, right? You you get other people to handle these urgent, non-important items. And quadrant number four is the bottom right-hand corner. This is not important and not urgent. And unfortunately, we spend a lot of time in four because sometimes it just kind of fills our fun zone, right? These are just some things that we like doing. Maybe this is Facebook. Maybe this is, you know, reading an article that we found or someone sent or watching a video that you know, someone sent. So, so you can organize your day based upon these four uh, quadrants. So if you're like me and you create a daily to-do list and you start to put items in your four quadrants, right, as these do now, all right, make sure that we're prioritizing what time of the day am I going to be focusing on my big rocks, Okay, my quadrant one work. What things can I delegate out of quadrant one, maybe in quadrant three that are due right now so I can free up some time to, to really focus on my quadrant two work. Unfortunately, we spend the majority of our time in quadrants two and four because they're usually the most fun things to do and there's less stress, right? There's less stress so we maybe spend a little bit more time in that work. So, so look look for that. If you've never used Covey's Quadrants, we will send you all, you know our version. So we're talking about self uh, discipline. So so far we talked about focusing on our priorities, okay, setting our daily agenda, okay, calendaring. So here's so here's two questions that you could ask yourself to also help help you prioritize. Okay, so I'll give you a second to get ready here. Two questions you're going to ask yourself, just like the reflections we did the of the learning fellowship, these are two questions to help you prioritize, help you with your self-discipline. So the first question is, do you spend time planning and anticipating problems, or do you take problems as they come to you? Basically, are you responsive or are you reactive? And if you're living life in a reactive calendar, you're constantly going to be filled with stress. It's important as a leader to always think of the worst as you're developing anything. What's the worst that could happen here, right? Let's be responsive. Let's always be thinking about things that could go wrong. What are the unintended consequences? This is one of my strength zones, is always thinking about unintended consequences, always trying to anticipate, always trying to get ahead of the problems. 
If you fail to prepare, you will spend your time repairing. Okay? So if you don't spend time planning and anticipating problems, you should do so. Right? Anytime you're about to have a parent meeting, an organizational meeting, calendar time to prepare for that meeting. What kind of questions are they going to ask me? Do I have all the data? How am I going to make sure that I look and seem prepared and know it all before I handle this communication? Great leaders are rarely surprised. They're always, always thinking ahead. If you prepare for the worst, you do not need to stop everything to tackle a challenge. Okay, so that's your first question. Do you spend time planning and anticipating problems, or do you take problems as they come to you? Second question, when you are with others, do you intentionally add value to them? When you're with others, do you have a mindset to intentionally add value to them when you're with them? Leaders invest in people, so never meet with someone if you don't have a plan, a plan for that meeting, whether are you coaching, are you advising, are you mentoring, are you counseling? What are you doing when you meet with them? What is your plan ahead of time to develop them as, as you're going through this conversation? Time is your most precious commodity, and wasting it is a form of suicide. So you've got to consider your discipline regarding specific areas of your life. One, how I use my time. Two, how I spend my money. Three, how I think positively and build my character. Four, developing your own purpose. And five, leading your life or are you being led through life. Remember, we've talked about this. Most people spend more time planning their vacations than they do their lives. I was just at a friend's house the other day, and they're going to Disney World in two weeks. And it was unbelievable that they already have like their like I can't remember what it's called like like their passports or their they've got all these things already scheduled out ahead of time like when they can skip to the lines or when they're going to see the princess or when they're going to ride this ride I I can't believe it it's unbelievable already they've got all these things planned out all right so we've talked about the first two let's go to number three practice patience. Too many leaders are impatient. They look ahead, they think ahead, and they move ahead, which this can be good because as a leader, you've got to see the furthest, okay? But when you start to stretch out that way and you leave your people behind you, this could be very bad. And this, was the, this is the greatest struggle for me. This is something that I still continue to struggle with, and I have been dealt a harsh lesson this year because of it. It's great to look ahead. It's your job to look ahead. It's your job to anticipate problems and navigate through the icebergs. But you can't do so to the detriment of the organization that you lead. Okay, so, so, so there's no such thing as any instant greatness or instant leadership. There's no, you know, there's no instant gratification when it comes to leading. There's no microwave that's going to pop. You know, you're not an automatic pop tart. You're not an automatic leader because you read a book, went to a conference, or you know, sat down and made a couple changes in your organization. It takes time. It takes some patience, especially in education, because everybody wants reform and transformation instantly in public education. 
and it, it takes it takes time to develop the foundational rungs that are missing not only with your students but with your teachers and with your school leaders and your organization as a whole you got to be patient it's not about crossing the finish line first it's about crossing the finish line with everybody so being patient is a is a really difficult skill for me and and I would probably concur that there's probably a lot of people on the line you know listen to the recording that feel the same way is your inability to build a stronger organization based upon you're too far out in front of everybody and because of that it's building frustration within you rather than development and understanding you've got to walk slowly through the crowd and help your people through connecting and enlisting others to fulfill the vision Okay. Think about our LEAD program, right? Learning to live how to lead, equipping, taking the time to equip, advancing forward, and developing the organization as a whole. So critical. Walk slowly through the crowd. I love that. When you think about how dangerous it can be if you're 50 steps ahead, lots of lots of things are going to get lost in the way. Right? I think about this when I was a leader, and and we had this, um, you know, the teach the teach like a champion book. And I remember reading the book and being like, oh man, this is going to be great for our staff. And I created a little bit of a plan, and and and. And I would take them through, you know, what I learned, you know, slowly through, through just, you know, going through the book. And all of a sudden, I just realized, you know, okay, well, this is what this is what your practice will be, right? We well, let's say we did the um, trying to think of one of the lessons, uh, um, you know, the positive praise statements. I know was always one that we really, really focused on. Okay. Um, the no opt out, right? There was all these parts that teach teach like a champion, all these characteristics. And just, you know, kind of remember it after one professional development session, my expectation was that I'll see it in your classroom the next day. Right? So I was just way ahead of, of what the expectation should be. And when I didn't see it, I would become frustrated. I didn't see it emphatically in the class, but but then you know going back through it's like number one, it wasn't introduced that correctly. Two, it was my idea, not a staff's idea. Three, we never actually practiced it. We watched a video. And four, my expectations were too high in a sense of, you know, you see something, you should be implementing the next day. I was putting my faulty assumption was I was putting my expectations through my equipping of myself, my researching on my entire team in a 24-hour notice. So think about that. When you're when you're leading professional development, when you're leading initiatives, be careful not to not to implement too many initiatives at one time. To 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 walk slowly through the crowd, slowly through the crowd, to to make sure everybody is is moving along at the same pace. You're going to have folks that are going to get it right away. So how do we utilize them? Connect with them to be able to mentor and develop everybody else. 
Okay, focus on your top 20% and let skills trickle. Give them opportunities to lead in your school. So, three suggestions for taking the team across the finish line. Number one, slow the pace. Two, stay connected to the team. And three, enlist others to fulfill the vision and keep the team going. Don't be so quick to judge. Mirror yourself, right? The mirror principle. Look within yourself. Have what role do you have in the problem any time that you're sensing frustration in your organization and sensing frustration within yourself. So that's number three, practice patience. Number four, last one, four step. Seek accountability. When leaders fail ethically in their leadership, they all thought it would never happen to them. There's a false sense of security, and they believe that they were incapable of ruining their lives or the lives of others, but they were only accountable to their own ego. Think about leaders who have failed ethically. We have failure in all different levels. And remember, failure is an event, not a person. We've had incredibly poor ethical decisions that have completely demoralized organizations. Now you had, I mean, just a few examples that are popping into my head. You had the pyramid scheme with Bernie Madoff, right? If, if, if you don't remember this, remember there's this massive pyramid scheme where he was taking on millions and millions of dollars um, you know, people were investing in this and they were getting these great returns. And I think about organizations that were completely annihilated, um, you know, almost to the brink of bankruptcy. And one was the New York Mets, the team that were just in the World Series. But, but the owners had invested millions and millions and millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars into this scheme as an investment. What it did, it set back the organization. You had, you had actors, you know, Kevin Bacon, I remember coming forward and, you know, saying, we've, you know, pretty much lost everything. Madoff's ego was irrelevant, right? He just was all about him. It was all about him. It wasn't about ruining the lives of others. Learning the hard way is extremely sobering. I spent many years in therapy in support groups to learn that as a recovering addict, number one, that I can't trust myself. And number two, I needed to become accountable to someone else besides me. Seeking accountability is the first step to maturity, right? You think about maturity as, as, as an age and gaining experience, but it's not. It's acceptance of responsibility. And I realized this many, many years, you know, after therapy and, you know, going to 12-step um, meetings for a long, long time, you know, driving hundreds of miles to get there and, you know, coming back, it really didn't sink in me. It was just I was going to the meetings because that was the thing to do, right? So I had a little bit of accountability, but I never really thought about the second part, like how I was ruining the lives of other people. Because when you're only on your own agenda, you don't think about it. 
Right? So think about this in, in, in your own personal life and in the organizations you lead. How are you seeking accountability? Because many people see the word accountability and they think, oh, it's a report I have to turn in, right? Or it's the EOGs. It's the willingness to explain one's action, right? How are you held accountable? But really, effective accountability before, you know, happens before you take any action. It starts with getting advice from others, creating a team dialogue, whether your team is your family or your team is, your, is the people that you work with or your team is your community. And it's giving that buy-in, that accountability, because there's one thing that it's going to do. It, it's going to, you'll be less likely off track if you stay open and transparent to get this accountability. So your stages through accountability experiences is, A, we don't want advice, right? I never wanted advice. When I was a teacher and I have the, uh, when I taught students with autism, there's this great program called Teach, and it's, 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 I believe it's national, but it's very, very heavy in Chapel Hill, and they would come to my classroom, and these were experts in the field of autism, and they would tell me everything that I was doing wrong as a teacher. And all I could say was, you know, you don't know my kids. You're not here every day. Right? So the stage is through experience. We don't want advice. The next stage as we grow is we don't object to the advice. The third stage is we welcome advice. The fourth stage is we actively seek advice. And the final stage of accountability is we often follow the advice given. If you seek advice early before you take action, you'll be less likely to get off track. So that is the fourth phase, seeking accountability. So a couple of reflection questions about seeking accountability for you. Because we're all human, right? We're all human. We definitely, we're, we're not wired. We're not wired to get off of our own agenda. We're wired to be what we want as our own agenda. So. Discuss your willingness to seek and accept advice. You know, how do you seek advice? Who are your thinking partners? Who do you go to first? Who do you trust? Why do you trust this person? How do you disseminate this information? Okay. And what measures of accountability currently exist in your personal and your professional life? And how does this impact your leadership in a positive way? Nothing so conclusively proves a man's ability to lead others as what he does from day to day to lead himself. Thomas Watson, he's the chairman of IBM. Nothing so conclusively proves a man's ability to lead others as what he does from day to day to lead himself. So what, what we've talked about, let's recap. We are responsible for others' actions as well as our own, okay? But we must earn the right to lead anyone besides ourselves. So it starts with you, right? It starts with you. 
So the four steps we talked about, A, learn followership. Human nature seems to endow us with the ability to size up everybody in the world except ourselves, right? So you need to learn to be led before you can lead. The second, self-discipline. Activity does not necessarily equal accomplishment. How you spend, how you create your daily agenda is going to dictate your success. Number three, practice patience. Walk slowly through the crowd. It's a team. It's a team effort, whether your team is your family, your team is your um, your coworkers. You walk slowly through the crowd and don't get too far ahead of them. And finally, seek accountability because leadership is a trust. It's not a right. Leadership is a trust, not a right. That is my teaching for this Monday morning, this drizzly Monday morning, learning how to lead yourself. I hope I added value to you. I hope you found one or two golden nuggets. We're going to share some of the resources that I talked about specifically, the Covey's uh, quadrant list that we have, plus some other just daily agenda prioritizing um, you know, collection items that I have uh, you, know, you know, gathered over the last year or two. But if you have, if you have any comments or questions, um, I'm going to open up the queue now. Oop. What happened here? There we go. So if you've got a question or comment or anything I said or anything, you know, like any story you would like to share, feel free. Uh, the queue is wide open. Um, go ahead and, and share with me any of the questions or, you know, anything that you think uh, would help you better lead, lead yourself. Tom, I appreciate the session very much. As you were speaking, I was reflecting back on a book I read years ago by Rabbi Friedman on leadership in the age of the quick fix. Mm. He talks about the non-anxious presence. Uh, he looks at leadership from the emotional side, not just, if you will, the structural side, but the emotional side. It's certainly a, a fabulous book that's uh, right along the lines of what you were saying. So thank you. Marty, can you tell me the author and the name again, please? Yeah, Rabbi Edwin, E-D-W-I-N, Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N, Leadership in the Age of the Quick Fix. It looks at, it looks at family systems theory and uh, really talks about the leader uh, that is most effective as a non-anxious leader, uh, which is what you were really um, stressing in your presentation. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Marty, for that share. I'm definitely going to check out that book. Uh, yeah, you're right. You know, you know, when we allow our emotions to, you know, get ahead of our agenda is is when we start to make the greatest mistakes and and we right. lose others. And 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 I'm I'm involved with a couple of organizations right now um, that you know I have felt my my emotions, uh, um, you know, dictate what actions I wanted, and that and that was wrong because it wasn't what was best for the organization. Um, so yeah, so that's always always important to be, you know, gauging ourselves and and you know focusing on the clarity. So awesome! I'm gonna definitely definitely check that out. Rabbi Edwin Friedman. Yes. Excellent. Thanks, Marty. Yes, indeed. Thank you. I I would just like to support what you've been saying, too, Tom, with a little paradigm shift that I had early in my career. I was a lot like you. I think when I first started, I was very uh, ambitious and arrogant and wanting things. And anytime 
my superior would give me any kind of feedback that I didn't like, I'd become argumentative and defensive and not accept the way, you know, what, what the person was saying. But one day I, I had that illumination of why not just listen and say, well, that's a good, that's a good point. I'll look into that. Thanks for sharing that. You know, that, that just kind of changed everything with relationships and brought us on the same side of the table. And that was such a valuable experience to seek then be able to seek out advice, but to be open to criticism and consider what the other person is saying. It made such a big difference in uh, how I worked with my superiors. Thank you for being transparent and sharing that, Marty. And, and, and you just made me write down abundance mindset versus closed mindset, right? I mean, that's really what it comes down to is what, mm-hmm. what mindset are you? Where's your awareness? Like, and, and I, you know, you know, remember, uh, you know, but when you were part of our mastermind group, you know, you and I had a great session and you were so, you were so important to me in a sense of, um, what are your priorities, Tom, right? We were talking about the law of sacrifice. Remember, there's the 21 laws. We are talking about the law of sacrifice. And the things that we sacrifice are usually the things that we love the most, right? And that's our family because we can't, we can't get that time back. And, and so no, you were you so cannot. important for me a year ago in really starting to think about, you know, hey, all this is great and, and all this is, you know, definitely going to add value to others. But what about the people that are most important? Right. And that's, you know, sometimes that we really, that we, you know, we don't, uh, you know, we don't take the time to really see how our, <clears throat> our goals in life can really be impacting the people that we love the most. Because uh, so in, in, you know, hearing that I actually uh, ran across a book this past week, it's called Chain to the Desk. And it's a, it's a guidebook for workaholics. And uh, so I picked that up. Um, just, you know, because I want to make sure that I'm balancing correctly because I know my personality. I'm aware of, of, of when I went awry, you know, for 10 years being into a deep, you know, deep addiction. Um, I know that I'm very, very compulsive and I, and, and, and I can take uh, compulsive things. So we need to be able to lead ourselves and, you know, be able to be aware of ourselves um, and, and take that constructive criticism, you know, be aware of the clues around you. Uh, when you're part of the problem, you know, a main part of the problem, actually. So awesome. Yes, definitely great job with that mindset piece. Thanks, bud. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is Jeff. Um, you know, early on in the, in the call time, you talked about sitting back and reflecting on one quality of a leader or one event uh, in leadership that you remember that may have shaped your, your leadership style. Um, and I've always admired a leader that has great, genuine passion. I remember Elizabeth Lee, John Maxwell, in his session said, there's no such thing as low-energy people, just low-passion people. Um, and I think the converse is true also. You know, high-energy people are really high-passion people. They just love what they're doing, um, and they're committed to what they're doing. I think that's what passion is, is, is loving it and being committed at the same time. And so trying to think back at a leadership memory for me about that, um, while you're while you're giving your lesson, I was thinking about a, a very specific and, and small interaction I had with one of the first leaders I remember in my life, who is uh, 
my high school football coach. And uh, we, uh, we had an offense on our high school football team that was very specific and that we had a small set of plays that we ran. And I, I was on defense and I never played offense, but I would always think and think and think, you know, I know what the plays are. I know what they're going to do. I know what they're going to do. I can, I can tell where they're going to run the ball because I've seen this play so many times. And so I finally asked him after, uh, <laughs> after you know, years on the team. I said, Coach, why don't we run some different plays than the ones we run? And he said something to me that has that settled into me over time. Uh, he said, you know, Jeff, in order to be great at something, you have to commit. And the more we commit to one thing, practice it thoroughly, and, you know, we can do it so well that no one can stop us. That's when we've reached success. And, you know, I've always thought, or I always thought before then, that variety was the way to prosperity. And being able to do a bunch of things well was the, was the way to, to achieve success. And, and I always return back to that conversation I had to think about the focus you need on doing a few things really well not everything really well, and how that applies to my leadership. Um, so my, my question back to you, Tom, and to anyone else who wants to jump in, is, you know, how do people correct those, those you know, core memories if when they find out doing, you know, learning on leadership, that they were damaged memories or counterproductive strategies that, that set up their understanding of what leadership is supposed to look like? Does that question make sense? It does. And um I'll I'm gonna open it up for our for our audience first if there's anybody who would like to tackle that um question Jeff just asked. Really I love I love the quote from your football coach. It's awesome and, and it made me think of many things. Um but we got some great 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 experts on the line. I would love to hear your thoughts. Uh I'd love to jump in on my apologies, Tom. I gotta get off the line for an eleven o'clock meeting. I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Marty. <laughs> so, so I know one thing, um, you know, and you know, feel free to hop in, anybody. Uh, when I did my dissertation study on the characteristics of effective charter schools, one of the very clear char- characteristics that came out was just exactly what you what your football coach said, right? When when you in order to be great, you have to commit to doing one thing so well that it leads you to the success uh, that that you know you desire. And and what I realize is that it doesn't matter what model what model you use as a school, whether you're a project-based learning school or a direct instruction model or basic school model or um, you know heavy time on task and you know whatever it is. You've got to be consistent and communicate with clarity and just keep on tweaking it, tweaking it, and tweaking it until you perfect it to where it works. So the five schools that I spent my time in, each one of those schools basically had four of the five had the original founding principle, and and they had been there for over seven years, each of them. Some of them were there for 10 years. And they talked about this, about how they, they've always been the same model. They've never, ever changed from what they were. When school systems and a lot of failing schools are continuously reaching after the shiny lure, right, whatever program comes about, let's throw it in there, and, let's, and they never, never 
are clear about where we're actually going. So like your football coach, you know, talked about, you know, they only ran, you know, half a dozen plays or whatever it was, but it was about if we can do it so well, no one can ever stop us. And that's what these schools have done is that they, that they communicate with clarity. They really focus on uh, why they exist. They have non, non-negotiables like who we are, like the school that you and I were both at. Charter Day School. Charter Day School is successful. It's one of the most successful models I've ever seen, basically because they really don't, they don't change. They've done the same thing since they've opened up their direct instruction model. Nothing will change that. Even when they change the curriculum that they use, they still follow the same instructional practices, and that has gained a consistency and a success over time with different people in charge and, uh, you know, doing that. And I really, really believe, so, you know, going back to your question, I think your question was how do we how do we know that that's healthy? Was that was that the question, or how do we know that we fall off of kilter? Yeah. So you know, when I think in the, back to evaluate the leadership lessons I've had, like my my core leadership memories on what leadership is supposed to be like, that's one where I feel like I learned something good right there. But I also know there's some out there that I have that the more we learn about, you know, the philosophy of leadership and what it's supposed to look like, there's other memories that are that don't support those things, things that I learned or saw other leaders do that, you know, yeah. that I want to replace. Sure. So, so I think that, that the core, the core learning memory is having the, the end in mind, right? So, so when you, yeah. when you know exactly where you're heading, you can always be right. heading. Right. So if your core learning memory is taking you to that point, um, and, and, and you have those measures, right? So those measures to get there and to measures to know that you're on that, that right track. And I also believe that, you know, if you want to be more, you have to see more. So you'd have to see that be successful somewhere else, right? So you can visualize it over and over and over again. I, I know just this past weekend, Memphis, you know, Memphis is going to see the football team and they played Navy. And there was only one comment that popped out of my head. They said that the Memphis coach has never coached against the triple option ever. And what happened? Maybe annihilated them, right? So, I mean, so it's, it's really about, you know, being able to know how, how, your, how your programs and everything work and how everything should look. You can be able to visualize that. So, so you're not, so your core learning memories, your core leadership memories are always focused on those prioritized decisions to get to that next point. So that's, that's my take, um, you know, on what I've learned, you know, so far as a, as a young leader still. Thanks, Tom. And for the record, our offense was the triple option. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so funny, so excellent. Well, really great conversation today. Um, if, is there anybody else who would love to share one of their gold nuggets or, you know, something off of Jeff's questions or something I said or, or um, you know, Bud had, had some great thoughts there. Marty's not on the call anymore, but um, you can certainly hop on about his – about his thoughts as well. All right. Well, seeing seeing no more uh, comments. Listen, everybody, have a magnificent Monday. Okay, be uh, be uh, focused on your priorities. Take a look at your calendar and your agenda, and and remember, uh, failure is is an event, not a person. So. And yesterday ended last night. So every single day you have a new opportunity to be focusing on, on your priorities and, and getting your triple option to the national championship, which it you know, sounds like uh, Jeff uh, Gorski one day might be coaching his son's football team triple option to the, to the state champion. So 
So everybody, have a great day and, and be uh, 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 significant and make sure you add value to everybody you meet.